1: Yeah. And today I don't have any questions for you, Annie. I feel like our topic matter is a little too serious for me to ask a flippant question in general, even though, you know, we don't want to take life too seriously. There's a lot going on in the world that we can't ignore. Um, And this is one of those topics that we just can't ignore. Just go ahead and give you this trigger warning. We are taking a look at the connections between misogyny, toxic masculinity, domestic violence, and mass shootings. Specifically, mass shootings and how they are studying it and researching it. And uh, we want to go ahead and let you know. We're not going to talk about specific incidents necessarily. We're not going into detail about that. But we're going into a lot of the background research. And it is a heavy topic. So go ahead and again. Add this to the top of like, you may not want to feel like listening to this one today. You know, you've had too much and you just need some lighthearted content. This is not it. (laughs) This (laughs) is not one for you. (laughs) But yeah, this is a very large topic with a lot of social implications. And for the most part, we will be focusing more in the US. So just to let you know these numbers, and if we're not being clear, yeah, this is a mainly incidents in the United States um, and the incidents that have happened here. And we're going to start off with misogyny, which is something we speak on pretty frequently, but we thought it would be good to go ahead and do a, you know, schoolhouse rock level of review of what it means exactly, even with the etymology of it. But I'm not singing this time. I oh, I couldn't figure <laughs> out a song for this. So so according to Merriam-Webster, it means a hatred of or aversion to or a prejudice against women. Pretty simple. Um, and just to go a bit further, this is similar to sexism, but is very specific towards discriminatory attitude toward women. And the Greek roots, msen, which means to hate, and gene, which means woman, And the other side to that would be misandry, which is hatred of men. So, there you go. you you, you get a great (laughs) wedding? Okay, I'm going to stop now. Mm, Yes. Okay. My (laughs) big, big wedding. So, there you go.
2: I actually haven't seen that and I actually got called out for it recently on the other podcast I do, Saber, because I mentioned it. We did an episode where Bunt Cake and apparently... Bunt, Bunt, Bunt. Moot. Apparently, there's a joke about it in it my Moot big I know it very
1: clearly. I know exactly what you're talking I about. I <laughs> should have come to you. I knew it.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, moving on. Uh, next, we wanted to have a definition of masculinity. And the simple definition of that is, quote, the quality or nature of the male sex, the quality state or degree of being masculine or manly. Again, this is from... Miriam Webster, and though masculinity in itself is not a bad thing at all, and as we've been talking about this as a descriptor in any gender, when it comes to the more harmful ideals behind the importance of masculinity, there are subset terms that are important to know, like toxic masculinity, which is something we talk about often on this show too, especially when we talk about the dangers of the extreme pressures a man may feel to be overtly or aggressively Showing their manliness. According to VeryWellMind.com, there are many different definitions of toxic masculinity, but a few researchers have agreed that there are three core components. Toughness, or the idea that a man should be physically strong and without emotion or callous and perhaps even act aggressive or macho. Power, meaning that men should obtain power or seek to have power over others in order to gain respect and that they should reject any and everything that can be deemed feminine, like showing emotions or empathy.
1: And then there is hegemonic masculinity. And here we're talking about the deeper idea that men should be the more dominant of sexes in society. Originally coined by R.W. Connells, the theory is that it is, quote, a prevailing construct of masculinity as a social class that dominates women. And according to one research paper covering hegemonic masculinity in gun legislation, the, quote, ideal hegemonic man is wealthy, physically strong, heterosexual, middle-aged, educated, unemotional, independent, and white. Uh, And it doesn't just affect women, but also obviously it affects other men also, because it requires the domination of men by other men in order to rise in the hierarchy. So it's kind of like there can only be one. (laughs) And of course, according to the same research, this goal in theory is unattainable, obviously. So add to this the level of trying to get to this Point, but being frustrated because there's no way to actually reach it. And then also incel. And though this is not necessarily about masculinity, we wanted to throw this definition out there. We did dedicate a whole episode about it. We are going to briefly mention specific incidents or at least a little bit of the research that involves incel. So, wanted to get to the definition as a brush up for everyone. So, but if you want to hear more about it and the culture, you should go listen to our episode. Mm-hmm. And according to Marion it is, quote, a person, usually a man, who regards himself as being involuntarily celibate and typically expresses extreme resentment and hostility toward those who are sexually active. And then for more focused definition to specific incidents, like we said, we're going to talk about later, this term is, quote, emerged from a Reddit group in which tens of thousands of users, most of them young men, commiserate about their lack of sexual activity, many of them placing the blame on women and express rage at women denying them sex. And he frequently fantasized about violence. And then there is
2: mass shooting. So. We know this one may seem obvious, but there are many varying definitions and different statistics that are used to classify mass shootings. So here's a couple that will help with our discussion for the episode today. According to dictionary.com, it is a, quote, single incident involving the shooting with one or more firearms of a number of people, more than two, and typically a large number, especially when the victims are random. But not all organizations and statistics rely on these numbers. Many argue that it needs to be at least four victims and not two. So some of the findings we talk about will be referring to that number as the definition. And we will talk about it a bit more. But with this definition, there are qualifications that are a part of what is considered a mass shooting.
1: So according to one report by CNN, there's been at least 272 mass shootings this year. And according to uh, Gun Violence Archive, that is a 40% increase from 2020 and a 65% jump from 2019. And CNN is defining mass shooting as four or more people who are shot. But that also doesn't include the actual shooter or perpetrator. And the numbers above, again, include all shootings that could include drive-by shootings and uh, have shot at least four people. However, the statistics for every town for gun safety reports that because of the variation, once again, as we said earlier, of the definition of mass shootings, the counts differ from a range of dozen per year to one mass shooting per day. The numbers are all over the place, but it depends on different factors and their definitions. But for every town, uh, they also may look at, quote, the high number of casualties and often extensive and horrific media coverage associated with them. And some even may talk about the fact that it was out of nowhere, as, in, as if it was a workplace shooting. Or what happened with Atlanta, the Atlanta massacre where he just drove through and it didn't happen at one place, but it was done by one person and with multiple victims. So there are a lot of uh, arguments about these numbers. Yes.
2: And because this organization is looking to make changes within federal and state policies, they also look into specific trends that are often associated with mass shootings, including perpetrated by someone who was legally prohibited from possessing a firearm, perpetrated by someone who displayed prior warning signs, intermingled with acts of domestic violence, and far deadlier when they involve assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. And with these trends and specified definition, the Everytown organization or website shows that there have been 240 mass shootings from 2009 to 2020, which includes the deaths of at least 1,363 people. So, if we look at the perpetrators, not surprisingly, when we are talking about mass shooters, the majority of the perpetrators are white men. According to Statista.com, as of May of 2021, at least 53% of the perpetrators of mass shootings from 1982 to 2021 were white, while only 21% were committed by African Americans and only 8% respectively committed by Asian, Latino, or Native American populations. And according to the same site, men make up at least 96% of the shootings.
1: Right. And yes, women are often the victims. More than half the women that die in gunshot are typically domestic violence related. Gun violence is the fifth leading death for women ages 18 to 44. American women are 16 times more likely to be killed by gun violence than any other developed nation. And yeah, this actually doesn't necessarily include femicide. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about this before. That's a whole other topic. It is included, but it's not just those numbers. If that makes sense. Again, this is not outside of the U.S., so the numbers are obviously much higher, and the types of, of killings are much higher. But specifically, we're looking at gun violence in the U.S. for this number for these numbers.
2: Right. And now, why are we talking about misogyny, toxic masculinity, and patriarchy in relation to mass shootings and gun violence? Well, because the studies show the links between them, and we cannot ignore that. And when looking more closely at some of the cases, studies have found that crimes such as domestic violence, harassing, stalking, and sexual violence often are linked to or have been a precedent to those who are most likely to commit mass shooting. I know we've seen that conversation playing out a lot recently. According to a Mother Jones report, they said that they have found many cases which show a history of, quote, incel-like ideals, as well as their hallmarks of the culture, which the perpetrators often, quote, voice their rage and revenge fantasies on against women online, and many of the victims were specifically targeted within these rants. Looking at some specific cases, they say the shooters in Tallahassee, Chicago, Orlando, Southern Springs, and elsewhere brutalized women long before their gun rampages. And that they often give off, quote, multiple behavioral warning signs that are observable to people around them. A majority do so starting months and even years before their attacks.
1: Right, and this is where we talk about the Reddit showing a lot of this conversation happening and they've been able to pinpoint a lot of the individuals within those organizations. And in each of these cases, there have been reports of domestic violence, overt threats of violence, harassing women, and one specific case was actually groping and inappropriate physical harassment. There had been many complaints where he had touched people inappropriately and then they were on his target list. And then we know that recently, an actual plot had been thwarted But on his list were women that he felt had denied him and or had a list of women that he wanted to rape. And he actually had all of those uh, weapons ready to go, but someone was able to catch the warning signs and prevent this from happening. But the fact that this does happen quite often is very alarming, even though unsurprising. And whether it is a loss of control over a marriage or relationship or feeling of rejection or humiliation, there is a link between the need to reassert some level of control and power that seem to play out in most of these deadly and violent situations. And it's not a stretch to see the effects of toxic and hegemonic masculinity within those who have committed such atrocities. When we talk about gun and gun culture, it is often steeped with masculine leanings, which can quickly turn to toxic and hegemonic masculine leanings. Right. In fact, one study showed how guns can actually
2: be a symbol of hegemonic masculinity. In the study, researcher Angela Stroud interviewed men with concealed weapon licenses to analyze these ideas, and she found similar themes in their reasons. She breaks it down like this. Performance of masculinity, which includes the family defender, which is the top reason for gun ownership, and the, quote, aging male body, which is the idea that they never want to be victims, and if they feel they are, quote, lacking physical strength, a gun becomes the great equalizer. And that phrase, the great equalizer, may be familiar as it's been quoted within movies and media before, which may be part of the link as it's often portrayed in media as the hero fantasy, the save the day or get revenge fantasy. I had a really interesting conversation about this with some friends from Europe once where they, I think I've told this story before because it stands out to me so sharply, but we saw Inglorious Pastures together and it was different seeing it in Europe for a lot of reasons. Oh yeah, yeah. but uh, one of them afterwards, they're like, "You Americans and your gun violence and your movies, like we, you won't show drugs or sex, but yeah, just kill right. all of these people and still like you're the hero of the story."
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's no, bad. You
2: right? Okay, I gotta think about some things. Um, <laughs> some media I consume. And not surprisingly, organizations use these themes as a way to control the narrative for the need of guns and linking it to measures of masculinity. In another study, Scott Melzer states that the NRA uses what he calls frontier masculinity, which includes self-reliance, rugged individualism, and a strong work ethic. The NRA bolsters support to their cause. And this type of marketing continues the narrative that this is the way to hold their ground, which is another phrase we hear often in this country, and a way to protect what is theirs.
1: Right. So essentially, this is kind of the idea of the old cowboys, Western cowboys, uh, defending their home, which, by Mm -hmm. the way... That's not how that went down. Uh, I'm sure all of you already know this. But that kind of narrative is what pushes this forward in thinking that guns mean men. But there have been jokes about, you know, what does a gun represent for the man? Yeah. What is that anatomy? But it is something <laughs> that we need to look at. Like We may joke about it, but the actuality is it has become such a way of measuring one's uh, strength is how many guns or if you've got a gun. So that's really scary to think on. And when we see the MIR campaign to continue to bolster sales for guns and armed weapons, it's not hard to see the marketing techniques used within these campaigns and how it influences those who would measure their manliness to their weapons and ability to, quote, protect, which fits in nicely with the narratives of the many of those who would claim they are killing out of fear or need for protection or maybe justice, which we've heard that, a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, this could lead us to talking about why there seems to be a gender line when it comes to the debate of gun control in this country, but that is a whole other episode which we will revisit.
0: Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers,
2: So how does all of this lead to mass shootings? Um, Well, what we see when a perpetrator feels emasculated or wronged because of a loss of power is what can be known as aggrieved entitlement, which means these perpetrators feel wronged by the world, and they transform that anger into revenge, and they believe that, quote, they can regain this through mass violence against the enemy are those whom they feel have wronged them, according to a study completed by Rachel Kalish and Michael Kimmel.
1: And this specific study came from suicide by mass shooting. And so they went through this whole narrative, but this is what they were trying to bring out. It was like, oh, this is maybe a reason and we need to look about this entitlement as well as masculinity. Right. And
2: yeah, again, this is the result of feeling a loss of superiority and trying to regain power of control. And in a study titled Masculinity, Threat, Misogyny, and the Celebration of Violence in White Men by Maria Scaptura, she talks about a level of white entitlement that factors into perpetrators of mass shootings in states. Since white entitlement often protects white men from systemic disenfranchisement, these individuals are often unable to emotionally process everyday setbacks like bullying, being passed over for a job etc. When their privileges no longer guarantees them status or success, they are unable to cope and more likely to externalize blame for their
1: outcomes. Right. So there's a lot of conversation of why they may do this. And of course, there are studies upon studies upon studies about what this looks like in relation to gun control, in in relation to uh, domestic violence, that are all very separate they could come together and it's slowly coming together uh, as we talked about it. Again, that one report from uh, Kalish and kimmel came from 2010 and this current one from Scapitura oh. was in 2019 and there continues to be studies and we know that Bloomberg did a giant study in 2020 when it comes to mass shootings and domestic violence and we have another new one that came from the etymology from every town that came out in 2020 as well. So there's a lot of conversation about how to link these and what is important. And again, we talked about it earlier about gun control and gun violence and whether the CDC ha- would be able to intervene. And they have so slowly started researching what is happening, e- even with it being contested by other lobbyists. But, mm-hmm. okay. but we also wanted to talk about this in linking to domestic violence. Uh, and we already mentioned some of the stats linking to mass shootings and domestic violence, but we wanted to pull up some specific statistics before we dig a bit deeper in the correlation. But first... What is domestic violence? Uh, According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, or NCADV, it is, quote, the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and or other abusive behavior as part of a systematic pattern of power and control perpetrated by one intimate partner against another. It includes physical violence, sexual violence, threats, economic and emotional psychological abuse.
2: Yes, and... um. According to the NCADV, more than 10 million adults experience domestic violence annually. One in four women and one in 10 men experience some type of IPV or intimate partner violence in their lifetime. From 2016 through 2018, the number of intimate partner violence victimizations in the U.S. increased 42%. In 2018, partner violence accounted for 20% of all violent crime. Intimate partner violence is the most common against women between the ages of 18 to 24 19% of intimate partner violence involves a weapon, and about 4.5 million women have reported that they have been threatened
1: with a gun by their intimate partners. Right. And going specifically into intimate partner deaths within the statistics, the NCADV states one in two female murder victims and one in 13 male murder victims are killed by intimate partners. An abuser's access to firearm increases the risk of an intimate partner femicide by 400%. 65% of all murder suicides are perpetrated by intimate partners. 96% of murder suicide victims. Are female abusers who have access to firearms increase the risk of intimate partner femicide at least fivefold, and when firearms have been used in the most severe abuse incidents, the risk increases to forty-one fold. So, pretty significantly. And while the overall rate of intimate partner has decreased, intimate partner femicide has increased in recent years, driven by an increase in intimate partner femicide committed with a firearm. So there's been a lot of conversation about what state and what uh, legislation is actually doing something about trying to take away firearms and or at least getting some kind of control because many of the states don't have strict policies for those who have been involved in domestic violence cases because of how often it gets dismissed, how often it gets uh, taken back. So if they decide to dismiss charges or take back the charges uh, or even just... Timing. It takes time to even get these cases. It takes years. And then, of course, we've also seen those cases where, I believe it was in Florida, where the woman was in fear for her life. And because she couldn't get a TPO or a restraining order, rather, protective order, she went and took his guns and turned them into the police. And she got arrested for burglary.
2: Right. So we have
1: incidents like that that makes it concerning. (laughs) Yeah. Yes.
2: And then we did want to talk about corollary victims who are family members or those close to the intimate partner somehow involved in the case, such as police officers or emergency personnel. A study of intimate partner homicides found 20% of victims were family members or friends of the abused partner, neighbors, persons who intervened, law enforcement responders, or bystanders. And a quarter of those victims are 17 years or younger. Within those numbers, half of the corollary victims were minors and family members. And 70% of them were killed with firearms and more than that were killed within their residence.
1: That's something that we need to understand as a part of the mass shootings because oftentimes that's who gets caught up and the multiple victims are the, with the main target. So oftentimes we read that children, the children of the uh, target are part of the victims as well. And that's in within the mass shooting victims statistics as well. So... What is this correlation of domestic violence and mass shooters? And I think a majority of you probably already know, and it is really big right now because that one big study that has recently just come out. But according to those studies, it's now verified that at least 61% of the mass shootings were committed by someone who's been in the justice system for some type of domestic violence offense between the years of 2014 and 2017. And with that, it is now verified that two out of three mass shootings are linked to a domestic violence incident. And within those statistics, there is a higher rate of fatalities than with mass shootings unrelated to DV. According to that research, one in six people survive if there's a domestic violence incident or some kind of element involved, compared to one in three for non-DV-related shootings.
2: In several of the high-profile mass shooting cases, there have been details of some type of domestic or intimate partner violence. Cases like the Pulse nightclub shooting, the Texas shirt shooting in 2016, the Plano, Texas shooting that killed eight people, including the shooter's estranged wife, the Colorado Springs shooting, and so many others that continue to haunt these communities. There were reports of past police or court involvement, but uh, yet not completely seen as part of the warnings until until pretty recently. Uh, I mean, some of us have definitely been sounding the alarm like, why don't we seem to care about this? Hmm. And as new research is now able to verify the clear linkage between some of these precedents, it is unclear how or if it will affect public policy nationwide. And yeah, we know this is only the tip of what needs to be discussed and the overall implications of what is happening with our society and whether or not we are able to bring any change to a broken system. It certainly feels like we've been screaming about this for years and no one's been listening or the people in power have been like thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers move on.
0: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers
1: And as we talk about the links that happen within, of course, we talked about this with our QAnon episode and the insurrection episode that we did with Bridget, how we are seeing those who feel like power is being taken from them using violence to come at them. And within that linkage, how many of them has some type of incident or with domestic violence or even incidents against abortion clinics and reproductive rights clinics. It's very obvious that there is a singular link between all of these studies and who is... Part of the problem, I guess, for the lack of better terms. And of course, again, this, we're not even talking about gun control laws. We're not even talking about the policies based on that. We're not talking about whether or not the Second Amendment has been affected here or should be affected here in these conversations. But what we're talking about is that there is a commonality that we have to address and whether or not anybody's going to pay attention because, yeah, it's. It's not new, especially in the last 10 years. I think we've talked more and more about it overall, and it's not hard to see, especially if you've been with someone, if you had a loved one involved in domestic violence or even emotional uh, abuse, or if you've suffered that yourself or gone through that yourself or work within those communities and that types of atmospheres, it is very obvious once you see the glaring signs. Oftentimes, for those who are survivors or those who have been in the field, know know the signs of what is happening, and it's really frustrating when you can't figure out a solution. Um, And I know there continues to be a fight when it comes to gun policies and protection for the victims, which is what we're asking for. And we've talked about the back and forth of the Violence Against Women Act in the past administrations, and the fact that it had to be written back in because it was so quietly taken out. And when we talk about funding to help survivors, there's so little. Uh, that is actually being afforded to them and given to them as a resource. And the fact that we have to look at nonprofits that have to do fundraising because they don't get grants or enough of a grant to help and that they are limited by being only able to help you know, 20 women. When we just saw the stats of how many women are actual victims and/or survivors, and it's really infuriating. And we're not even again looking at the in depth of the financial abuse that we've talked about beforehand and what that looks like and why that is so dangerous as well and the overall control. And yeah, we need to talk about whether we value masculinity which is, can be typically more toxic under the guise of hegemonics, over the protections of individual citizens. And that's the question of what are we doing about the guns? Are we really, really looking at protecting or are we really, really looking at profits and or a standard? That is harmful for everyone because the overall idea that one should be dominating over another, that in itself is a threat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's frustrating conversation on so
2: many levels, obviously, but I have gotten in fights with people before where they, being someone very adamant about, like, don't come and take my guns, saying it's all about, like, protection, safety, and control. And I'm like, well, if I walk into a place and I see somebody with a gun, I don't feel safer. I immediately feel less safe. Like, right. And that whole idea of, like, the best way to stop someone with a gun is another person with a gun. I'm like, since when does it have to escalate to this? Like, we can't find another place along the line to protect
1: more people. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the other part to that is, at what point do we say this is a hobby and this is status versus protection? Again, when the conversation, people want to talk about how, you know, if you outlaw guns, you know, people don't get them illegally anyway, and all of these things. Uh, And or talking about how they need the bigger guns because what if something goes wrong? You know, the fake apocalypse that's supposed to happen soon. (laughs) All of these things. And I get a level, like, I hate guns. This is my own personal opinion. I hate them. They scare the hell out of me. I left one of my jobs because I was going to be enforced to have a gun. I was like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. I'm good. I'm out. That was not my job. But... I'm not even arguing about whether or not you can have a gun. I'm not arguing with you about whether or not uh, Second Amendment rights. It's just more of that we have to think about the necessary toll it's taken and why we are not having some type of legislation or conversation about why this is controlled more than what it is when everything else is seemingly way controlled. Women's bodies are so more controlled than guns. And that has taken lives versus all of everything else. You know what I mean? It's just a, kind mm-hmm. of such a weird conversation. Again, this is this is not what we're talking about necessarily in this episode, the gun control stuff. We are talking about why we need to see it. And again, yeah, I think more women, you'll find more women saying they're uncomfortable with guns than they are um, the men when it comes to statistics and who owns it and who is part of the NRA. There's a very clear line mm-hmm. of genders of like who is here and who isn't. And again, there's got to be somewhat of a level of, okay, but why are people fighting so hard? Again, capitalism. (laughs) in it's, you know, truest form of what this is and who is making all the money and why it's so important to them. But the fact is, it comes down to do you trust people too? I think that's part of that conversation is you go into a relationship not realizing who you're with and finding yourself caught and then you're caught up into this whole world that you don't understand. And then you add a gun to it and it becomes a whole new mix, obviously. And yeah, we can go back to the fact that many of the mass shootings had legal guns. Yeah. End of story. And again, who is perpetuated by and who the demographics are, who are the actual shooters, and why that's important to look at in a system that doesn't police them very well. But they police other individuals really well to the point that they they are murdered for taking two steps outside the line.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, it's a lot to untangle as, as you said at the top, Samantha, because there are so many issues here, but I think that we can't not talk about if there's multiple instances where that I could think of off the top of my head mm-hmm. where it's a dude being like, this one woman rejected me once and now I have to kill everyone and, and right. myself usually. Right. And that is a problem
1: and we should be asking why that is. Exactly, and then also why we have to look at the fact that you know women from eighteen to forty-four mm-hmm. are probably going to die of a gunshot. Like it's just kind of one of those, hmm, yeah, why is that? And and again, yeah, the correlation seems to be getting more clear as more research is being done over who values what in our current state of being, and not much has changed. I know that there's a lot of outcry. There was a shooting that I specifically remember. I think Columbine would be mine point of like they're going to do something now they're going to do something with gun control now. surely surely to goodness something's going to happen and nothing happened the Sandy Hook shooting was another one I was like oh my god young children have been affected this surely something's going to happen and of course the whole uh, ableist narrative of mental health comes in instead of guns and instead of violence against women because he the first thing he did was he shot his mother and I think that says a lot he was after her and then it it, uh, went bigger But there needs that conversation of like, ah, yeah, okay, let's not be ableist and just blame one thing because that's something that you know you want to say is out of your control, Mm. and therefore you could like you couldn't have that couldn't happen normally, right? But the fact of the matter is he had access, and that's part of the problem, and that's part of that conversation that we don't have. And again, like those big points, I was like, yeah, something's gonna happen, and it didn't. And it seems to continue to be that way. And that's the most frustrating part is, yes, these new statistics are alarming. But for people like us who have been in this industry, it's not shocking. Mm-hmm. We just now have actual verifiable numbers.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's like you said, whether or not we'll do anything about it. Um, and that's a whole other, we've, something we've talked about before, which too much for this episode, but that whole like blame the mother thing. Right, it really is. It comes back a lot in these where it's like, well, she must have been. And I, I don't know, but it's like the fact that that is, we, instead of him, we always are like, but that mother though, right?
1: <laughs> right. But that's kind of that conversation of when women, and I've seen this many a times, who are victims, and then their children are victims, and both the mother and the father get arrested but oftentimes the mother is the one that gets sentenced the longest for not protecting her child majority of the time is because she was a victim herself and she's fearful that they're going to die if she does anything like mm-hmm. they are all going to die and these are kind of that relevance of like yeah they they do this is what happens they end up dying mm-hmm. and so instead because they didn't come out of it because they have no other other circumstance to come out of it they're punished more so than the actual abuser Because they didn't, they as the mother should have been protecting the child. (sighs) Yep.
2: (laughs) So much. There's so much here.
1: (laughs) So much. Yeah. Obviously, we untangled like, oh, there's five other topics here Mm -hmm. for when we all want to be Debbie Downers. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, if you're ready to have more Debbie Downer conversations, you know where to email <laughs> us. <laughs> you can send those messages our way at Momstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.